Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. And if you're enjoying the director's cut, please take a moment to like, share, or comment. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Jason Hall's new film, Thank You for Your Service. The film tells the story of four U.S. soldiers who try to cope with their return stateside after a tour in Iraq. As they struggle to readjust to civilian life, lingering memories and wounds sustained in the war threaten to destroy them long after they've left the battlefield. Thank You for Your Service is Mr. Hall's feature directorial debut. He earned an Academy Award nomination for Best Writing Adapted Screenplay for pending director Clint Eastwood's 2014 feature, American Sniper. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Hall spoke with fellow director Bradley Cooper about filming Thank You for Your Service. During their conversation, Mr. Hall discusses his use of color to amplify the alien world of civilian life, the advice Taylor Hackford gave him on how to game the system when editing a film, and why motivating others was how he dealt with the pressure of directing his first feature film. Afternoon. Hey. Um, let's get to congratulations, by the way. Thank you, uh, buddy. This is your first movie. It is. H- have you always wanted to be it? Yeah. Jason and I worked together on American Sniper. Um, and be- we knew each other a little bit before that, and then we became very close. And uh, it-, it wasn't a shock that, that he was going to do this. Um, but uh, that you did it so well is-, is-, is incredible. I really love the movie. Thanks, man. Um, we have a similar experience because I just directed a movie for the first time, and you know, crew is everything. So I, I'd like to just talk a little bit about uh, how you assembled the crew that worked on this film, and if you could talk a little bit about the cinematographer and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, Roman, Roman Vazhinov was our DP, and he's, uh, he's from Russia. He, uh, he came over here, I think... Uh, maybe 12 years ago and he's been doing smaller films he's done a bunch of david ayers movies and uh but some of the some of the stuff he did in the beginning of his career in russia was very captivating and uh and we just talked a lot about the difference uh he you know he wanted me to watch a bunch of tarkovsky films so we were watching a lot of tarkovsky but um he uh he it was very it was very planned out you know the color I think these guys come back and there's such an alien world that I wanted to amplify some of the color and the texture of of, um, of this world that they come back into that's, uh, you know, obviously their world, but not familiar. Yeah, specifically when Solo's in the cafeteria and you see the bright red of right. the Slurpee and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that really showed. And the, it's sort of shocking and how do you... How do you um, how do you contrast them and, and, and not let them assimilate to their environment? Um, at the same time, uh, Hope Hannafin, who did the costumes, she uh, we we met and she had this great idea about how to uh, how to allow the audience further into the characters by by eliminating all patterns, and so we we eliminated patterns in all the clothing, 
and made everything um, you know base colors so that so that the um, the audience could assimilate with the characters and and not you know not have anything interfering between them and and uh, the audience. So uh, I, I thought that was a really an elemental choice in what we did and and uh, using using colors that also made it um, made it so that this could have been. 1970. This could have been 1945. Trying to give it a timelessness so that it didn't stick out. Uh, this was totally contemporary because while this is a story about contemporary soldiers, it's a story about every veteran who's ever served and every veteran who's ever tried to come back. Um, and Keith Cunningham, because that's part and parcel is the, your production designer, which is key yeah. to what you're talking yeah. about. And, uh, that he he was incredible. I thought the look and uh, where did you shoot it? Uh, we shot in Atlanta. Atlanta and, and Morocco, right? Morocco, yeah. same Robot. That bank the when um, the geese, you know, when he shoots himself, right. which is, right. you know, you see in movies when, you know, the, someone, something, a gunshot happens and right. geese fly and you right. had them in the back of the bank. That was just kind of incredible. Yeah, it's at the bank and then you have it again in Iraq when the, off the top of the right. roof with the, right. the doves. Yeah. No, Keith was, Keith was great. Um, he actually came on only two weeks before production. Because we had oh, someone wow. who couldn't, you know, we had a lower budget. We had twenty million dollars, and it was um, we had someone who was having a real challenge getting the work done, and uh, and so Keith came in and and saved our hide for sure. Uh, well, that's not much time. That's not much time. <laughs> I mean, we had, I had a good idea about the sets and and how to dress everything, but it was uh, yeah, he he hustled. Is it an asset having uh, written the movie that you're directing? I think so because I think you're you've thought about it so much. I you know I can't write something if I don't know what the room looks like. So that was an asset to, you know as a director. But having spent that amount of time, I, I wrote the script for. It took me almost two years. I started writing it before uh, right. You know Steven came on to American Spielberg. Sniper right. Um, Steven Spielberg was going to direct Sniper and. Uh, he came on and we worked with him for a couple months and during that time he gave me this book and he said, I want to do this one too. And then he, he came off Sniper. So I started writing it uh, shortly after Chris was killed. So that was, um, you know, that was a good two years. I wrote it through after production of Sniper and I continued to write it. And did you have a lot of contact with the real people in writing it? I did. It? I did. I had a ton of contact with the real people. And were they on set at all? Yeah, we brought Adam. They were all. They all ended up coming to set. Uh, Adam is actually in the film. That Adam. Right, Schumann. he's at the uh, when in the uh, when they come off the plane at the beginning, yeah, right? On the tarmac. Yeah. yeah. He says he welcomes himself home. He hand, you know takes his gun and says, "Welcome home, Sergeant Schumann," which I thought would be a nice reminder to him. Did uh, you have a lot of military in the movie? Actual military? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, uh, you know, we. I tried to cast as many military as I could, and obviously I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't bet certain roles on it, or, or, or stoop to to do that casting, to do a stunt casting for that. But it was uh, it was always the best person for the role. But if I could find someone military, I, I put him in. Take us through a little bit about how you direct a scene, because I always find that fascinating. How each director has their own way. Some stand by, you know, video village. Some are right there. Right. Some use the monitors. Some don't. No, I was always uh, close. I, I, as you know, I, I was an actor for a long time, and so I, I'm, I'm very invested in how to get them comfortable, how to get them into a rhythm, how to break down anything that doesn't uh, feel real, how to, how to get to the truth of, of what the scene is. And um, that would that mean potentially going away from the script, or would you change stuff on the day? It 
I would change stuff. I would change stuff from the script if they felt there was something. You know, the script throughout the pre-production kept. I kept changing the script because I think once you start finding locations, the you, the truth of the script gets moved forward, and you have a higher bar for for what the truth is. And once you start finding the truth of of every scene, some of the scenes have to change to become more honest. Um, so it was just about it was about pushing that 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 uh, line forward of of how truthful could we make it and uh, and that was my approach as a director too was not to do anything, not to do any camera moves or any any work that was going to call attention to the directing of the film, but was uh, you know I wanted the audience to feel like they were a fly on the wall. I wanted to almost remove myself from the process so that it felt like a you know less like a movie that was directed and more like a, um, an examination of, of being put into these people's lives. Um, that, that, the one scene that really struck me is when Solo breaks down after playing was a Call of Duty. Yeah. That, that scene, yeah. uh, I really did feel like I was a fly on the wall. Yeah. That, 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 that scene really just crushed me when I saw the movie. What, what was, now he's a first time actor, right? Yeah. What what was that? Two two shorts and a and a small uh, a small feature from from uh, Auckland, New Zealand. I thought. Didn't you think his performance was incredible? Yeah, he was really blew me away. That was uh, that was yeah. We auditioned. I auditioned fourteen hundred people for that role before I found him. Wow. So I was going. I was. It was to the point where everyone thought I was crazy, and they started to stop trusting me. You know, it was like. Did he, you have to convince people that he was the right guy? Well, or? Yeah. Once I found him, I knew it was. I knew he was the guy. But then, literally everybody else. Just to backtrack for a second, to talk a little bit about the audition process with him and all the fourteen hundred people. Well, a lot of the fourteen hundred do tapes, so you're watching a bunch okay. of tape on the internet, and then it's, uh, and then you see somebody who's good, and you're pulling them in. But very hard to find an American Samoan. To solo is an American Samoan. Uh, you know, our our. A large part of our army is uh, is our American Samoans. These guys are a, a big part of our fighting force, and uh, there's just like a there's a kindness in this warrior spirit to uh, to the real Tosolo Aeti, and I I wanted to be honest to that, and I wanted to be true, and I got pushed towards casting, um, you know, to casting an actor who was more well known, who was African American or or a Puerto Rican actor, or you know somebody like that. And uh, it was very important to me to cast a, a, an American Samoan. Um, but yeah, once I saw, I got his tape. He was this, he, he had to uh, go self-tape, and it cost uh, 50 bucks to go into a, you know, a video uh, an audition place, and you pay him 50 bucks, and they let you do it, and they run the scene with you, and then they cut it up and get your best take, and then they send it off. Well, he, that fifty bucks was a was a lot of money to him, and he was, you know, he he raised his four brothers, and so that fifty bucks meant he wasn't going to eat for the rest of the week, and so it was uh, he was really on the fence about auditioning because it meant that, uh, you know, they were going to go hungry for the rest of the week, and uh, and that's kind of where that kid's life was at when he when he took the audition. He he now says it was the best fifty bucks he ever spent, but. Uh, but it could, it could have gone either way. And has he worked? Has he worked since? He is. We ended up. I had a friend call me and he said, "Hey, did you end up ever finding an American Samoan?" Because I was I was like on this war path to find an American Samoan. So I called my friend who runs Hawaii Five O, figuring they would have had an islander or or someone assimilate to that. And uh, and and he didn't. 
uh, but he ended up calling me after the movie. This kid went home. The kid got here with $4 in his pocket to Atlanta. He didn't know that he could order food at the hotel. And so he, uh, he found apples in the gym. He spent his $4 the first day, found apples in the gym. So he lived off apples for three days. <laughs> apples and water, and he was, he was going crazy. And he finally asked the lady at the front desk if he could send her a check once he finally got paid. And, uh, and he was like, here's my information. I promise I'll pay you back. Can I just order some food? And she's like, you can order anything you want. The studio pays for it. And he was like, and he just started crying. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but he finished the movie. He went back to Auckland and, and started working again as a trainer, which he had done before for, you know, 20 bucks a pop. And, uh, and uh, my friend Peter Lenkoff ended up calling me. He said, did you find an American Simone? I said, buddy, I found like the best kid because yeah. he's such a sweetheart and he and he crushed it and he's so so good and and just a, such a good heart this kid and uh and so i ended up sending him a, a little bit of a taste of who he was and he cast him without ever meeting him wow he's the oh, new lead great. on hawaii Five O. Oh wow he is oh yeah. that's incredible yeah <laughs> oh wow yeah so he went from not having four bucks to like now he's an <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, pretty much. He's a hot shot, yeah. Um, so talk about um, how, how many days did it take to shoot it? Uh, it or did 40, you have to shoot it? 41. 41. Yeah. Not much. No, not, not much, but, you but that's know. That's a healthy number. Healthy, yeah. yeah. And uh, was the budget manageable? The budget was, was 20. Okay. Yeah. And and tell me about the process of you, you ha how many pages basically did you do a day or did it vary? I mean, it varied. Some of those scenes are you're sitting in a you're sitting in a therapy session, so you're you're able to do you're able to do more because there's not not a ton of setups. Um, I was trying not to move the camera, like I said, to uh, unless I felt that it enhanced the psychological um, our our psychological insight into the character. I wouldn't move the camera. I had to have a very real reason to to move the camera. And, and you, you and I talked. We worked. On, we yeah. talked about the movie when you were in uh, editing it early yeah. on. And, and I, I, in the final product, I saw you got rid of a couple of things, That's like the, the burning. You know, yeah. and, and the, yeah. how hard is it to let go of things that you shot that you loved? Because that's sort of one of the bigger things that you have to do, right? When you're when you're when you're sculpting the yeah. movie. Yeah, Bradley came into the editing process and and was super helpful um, in just in pushing me to be to get rid of anything that I didn't think was totally truthful. And it's kind of, you hit those those markers, right, in making a film where it's like, you hit that thing and, and it's like, okay, I've gotta do this. We're gonna cut that part to be able to make the movie or we're gonna put this person in to be able to make the movie or we're gonna, now we're, you get to that part in editing where it's like, okay, we have, a, we have a movie here but it's not as good as it could be. And it's how am I going to get to that next? What are we going to give up? What are we going to take out? And um, yeah, it was I, I think you get to that point, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to kill every baby. Like right. I have no problem killing killing babies. Right. It's uh, metaphorically metaphorically killing babies. But it's you know we definitely killed some babies, and it was it was about finding the deepest level of truth and and taking out anything I didn't believe in the movie and then seeing if the movie still makes sense. Right. And finding a way to to craft the movie around around the truth of of what you what you came away with, you know? You have the three movies. You have the one you wrote, the one you shot, and then the one you edit. And they're they're different movies. Speaking of editing, uh, talk a little bit about Jay Cassidy. 
Jay, who was your editor? Who you introduced me to was, you know, I, I started out with an editor. I actually got very interesting advice. I don't know if I told you this from Taylor Hackford, who was editing down the hall. And I said, "Hey, Taylor, it's my first movie. Give me some advice." He had done a he had done a Q and A with Clint during Sniper, and uh, was great. And he said, "Edit as long as you possibly can, and then right when you're coming up to your deadline, call the studio and tell them you messed up and you got to start over." <laughs> Really? Yeah. And then edit as long as you possibly can. And then if you get to the end of that and you can do it again, do it again. Wow. And he was like, you're going to learn more editing the film than you would uh, shooting three movies. You will learn more editing one movie than you would shooting three of them, which totally makes sense once you're, yeah. once you're down to it. So I, uh, you know, I'd started out with an editor who, who came through the production process with us and then then you get, you're done and you're both sitting in a room together and you find out, you know, this is my first film. I find out I, I didn't see the movie, the, the same movie. We weren't seeing the same film. And so, uh, so I ended up going to Jay, which was, uh, which was a great move. Um, I met Jay when, when you were doing your test. Right. You were shooting your test with, uh, with, with Lady Gaga for, um, for Stars Born. And, uh, and he was just, he was a lifesaver. And do you uh, talk a little bit about your, as a director in the editing room, what, do you look at all the dailies? Do you look at all the, how, how do you, what's your entrance into the process? Yeah, I mean, when the film was over, I went through everything. I just looked at everything. You did? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I watched all of it. And it was, um, I was supposed to be on vacation. And my wife really appreciated that I did that. <laughs> um, we're in Morocco and I watched all the dailies. And um, it was very exciting for her, uh, but but it was about it was about finding you know finding the stuff if if because I remember the takes that I loved I remember what I thought I got and then going back and seeing if it was actually there or if your perception in the moment if you had got, gotten excited about something that wasn't actually there if you had brought too much emotion to the scene as a director so you weren't seeing what was there um, that was a big challenge for me is to like take all my emotion out of it once I got to the set right. and not be, not be Mr. Excited director who's like pumping everything up and, and has some idea of what we've got, but really being level-headed and, and, uh, and concise and, and almost ruthless in collecting things and uh, not being emotional about it in the moment and, uh, you know, not blowing a bunch of smoke up my own. Do you remember any days that were the hardest? Did you remember one day that was the hardest of filming? And how you get through? I mean, it, did you ever have one of those days where the, the level of pressure is so high you just you think you're going to actually explode? And then how did you deal with that? So uh, no, so you could still be the leader, right? It's uh, you know it's challenging because I what I found what I found in this was I had a lot of people who cared. I found people that cared about the subject, so I found people that had some some personal connection to to the military or to soldiers, and I and I corralled those people. There, then, then you have a whole group who doesn't have any connection and, and they did a job before yours and they got a job after yours. And it's like, how am I going to motivate that guy? How am I going to motivate this prop guy who keeps coming up with blanks? You know, and he's, he's bringing me stuff I've, he used in 55 other movies and it has nothing to do with my characters. And so it was about motivating, finding those guys and motivating those guys and, and uh, finding a way to give them the best idea. To let that, to let the best idea in the room be theirs, even if you came up with it, <laughs> okay. you know what I mean. 
and and really really investing incorporate in those them in the process basically. incorporate them in the process, Creative process and give them credit for for everything even if they didn't do it you know what i mean because that's when a person gets excited when they feel like they're contributing when they're lied they're to collaborating <laughs> they're what i said when they're lied to when they're lied to no but you know you plant an idea with yeah, someone and then and they develop it and they come back and they're like hey i've got a great idea and you're like that's amazing one one of the most exciting things for me uh, in 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 film is how collaborative it is. Yeah. Um, it's like that's what I thrive off of. And and that uh, did you find that? I mean, you're, you're speaking to it a little bit, but yeah. like your cast, for example, and talking about authenticity, which is clearly right. you succeeded in. Um, how did you get your actors to bring all of themselves? I thought Miles was incredible. Yeah. You know, I think that's like uh, one of the best things I've ever seen him do. Yeah. No, I think uh, a lot of it is in the preparation. A lot of it is in leading up to it. And, um, you know, I worked a lot. I, I knew with Beulah that he was... Uh, the, the problem with casting him, and everyone said it, was if this guy is off, the movie's dead. Right, of course. You know? And, uh, and what was so that I, casting process? We're talking about Miles Teller. Uh, what, what was the casting process for that role, which is the, arguably Miles, the most important? For Miles, it was important. Pretty, pretty easy for me. I had watched all his work. I'd seen him in Rabbit Hole, and I felt like this was yeah, kind Rabbit of an extension that, of Rabbit yeah. Hole that was, uh, yeah, like an adult version Did you see of his that. performance in Rabbit Hole? Did any of you? In the yeah, he was yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah. No, he stepped out of film, uh, you know, acting school, and he stepped across from Nicole Kidman and Eckhart and, and just totally held his own. And he's a guy who, uh, he brings real emotion to a moment, so much so that sometimes, uh, who is the actor? Was it not Eleonora Deuce? This old stage actress who was able to blush? He's like Miles, if he, if he gets emotional in the moment, he gets, you can see it in his face. His, his, body, his body reacts to emotion that he's having as an actor, but the emotion for him is real. And so it's... Um, you you know he's he's got a gift that guy, um, so he was he was my first choice and uh, you know we got along pretty well. He has a connection to the military. All his friends are in the military. He got into a car accident, and the guy who was driving was his best friend. Was in the military and rolled the car and Miles got thrown out and his friend didn't and and died in the accident. So we also brought a level of understanding of trauma to to the role and I thought that was important as well. But the Beulah thing. Everybody said my producer was the one time I had a disagreement with my producer. Totally disagreed, and he said you can't cast this guy. So John Killick, right? Killick, yeah. and uh, and and he said what? Spielberg as well said you can't. This is the lead of the movie, very much you know the co-lead of the movie, and so I spent all of my time. I, I basically bet my job on on Beulah, and then I spent a lot of time with him preparing for the role and building memories with him building the moments of trauma and like really walking him through what it looked like, sending him a lot of pictures and then taking those pictures. And he was in Auckland for, for most of it and walking through pictures of, you know, some really grisly stuff and finding a way to, uh, to bring those memories to life for him to, to, you know, build in him sense memory. And, uh, and I had him using uh, rotten meat. I had him go to the butcher, get some meat, put it outside and then uh, in a Ziploc, and then after three days, we'd work with the memory, and then we'd work with the, you know, use the meat at the same time. Oh, so we'd wow. use the smell of this meat, and so then when we were on set, I'd bring the meat and, and you know, have the memory come up, and he's, he's, got the, he's got all of it, and then it was just about sitting on him 
and and really let making him like okay you've got it it's there now don't do it right um now now forget about it like put it away try and put it away try and get it to go away we don't need it anymore get it to go away um i don't remember what the question was uh, that was interesting it didn't matter yeah. <laughs> Uh, tell me a little bit about the other cast, the home life, coming home, uh, the wives, Amy Schumer, and the yeah. Miles' wife, and yeah. Solo's wife, and, and also the woman who worked in the bank. They were all great. Yeah. Uh, Haley Bennett plays uh, Saskia, and she, uh, you know, she she's an actress who just brings raw emotion. She has, she's, there's a realness to her, and if you can get her in those moments, she's she's actually also, I feel, living in front of camera. Um, which is hard to find in look it's hard to find in actors under under 40 to that have subtlety that have can be silent and have a lot going on and it's hard to find in in actresses as well that that ability to be comfortable in a messiness to be comfortable in the sort of messiness of life which is what I was looking for from her someone who's tough too who has the uh you know, has the chutzpah to, to actually say to this guy, like, hey, I'm tougher than you are. But I can handle all this shit, but I can't handle silence. And for you to believe that this girl's, she is tougher than him, that was the challenge, to have someone who had that strength, but also who had enough vulnerability that we could, we could relate to her and we could, um, you know, we could understand that she's got her own war that she's fought in his absence. And, uh, and she thought the end of the war was when he walked off the plane and then that that goal line gets moved and it's right. no this is not the end of the war the end of the war now has an indefinite indefinite date and and you got to find a way to fix this soldier uh and tell me a little bit about the, his son the casting of that baby it was incredible <laughs> <The> baby, <laughs> where did you find that baby we auditioned a lot of babies <laughs> i've never I, seen a baby look like almost that. as many babies as i did pitbulls <laughs> really yeah <laughs> It's a lot of pit bulls and a lot of babies. Yeah, pit bull was incredible too. So the the babies were twins, and there's two sets of babies. So there's the younger one, and then the baby gets older. The the drop baby was great too. Yeah, yeah. The drop baby was But the diner baby killed me, yeah. yeah, And then with the the, pancakes. The diner baby is great, yeah. Jax. Jax, and he's got a, yeah. The difference between him and his brother, his brother's got a little, his brother got a little, his ear got tweaked on the way out. And uh, so that was the, that was the only difference. If you look really hard, you can see one shots one shots the real Jacks, and the other one's uh, the the wrestler's ear on the other one. But uh, and then the gymnast baby who would roll off, you know, roll off the chest. We got oh, so much so much flack for uh, the baby in American Sniper. Uh, you know, there was there was all that like oh yeah baby talk. So I was like, wait to see what I'm gonna do with this baby. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> this baby's getting dropped. Not only am I using a real baby, it's going to drop. And so I was very proud of the reflex when he comes off that you see his hand go yeah, up. Yeah, But uh, no, that baby was a gymnast. And the, and the pit bull was incredible too. Yeah, the pit bull was amazing. I, lit- I literally met, I'd say, 400 pit bulls. I was going to make a movie about the pit bull too while we were making the movie, and then I thought that was a little much. But I, it was important, like what you realize is, you know, you're going to get scrutinized, number one, if you use an animal in film. They don't want you to use animals, pretty much, period. And uh, But I felt we had an opportunity to give this dog a, a, a good life. And so uh, we went to some of these pit bull places out in the valley and um, found this dog who was just amazing. And uh, 
and super trainable princess is the dog's name. Our fighting pit bull princess. How old? Uh, she was almost two. And it was, uh, yeah, no, it was a great story. We ended up training this dog. She was, she would lay there by herself and, and, you know, they taught her to lay there and they taught her to kind of shiver That's and nuts. look scared. Yeah. And it's a beautiful dog who, uh, yeah, now lives in Laurel Canyon. So two movies on this subject matter yeah. that you wrote. And, um, I know a little bit about how entrenched you get into your subject matter. Uh, the title, thank you for your yeah. service. That's sort of a that's that's a term that 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 has taken on a lot of meaning. Chris used to talk. Chris Kyle would talk yeah. about it. You know right. that. Tell me about why you made it the title of your movie, and what what do you what do you, what, what would you like people to get from that title uh, at the end of the film? Yeah, it's a uh, it's kind of the only thing that we have to communicate with veterans is this idea of like, all right, I'm going to say thank you for your service, and I have no idea what 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 they did, what branch they served in if they deployed or if they didn't, how, how it was or what that service meant to them. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this, this response to them. And, and it's, it doesn't come out of, uh, you know, we do it with good intention most of the time. But a lot of the time, if, if you really look at it, it makes us feel better. It makes them feel awkward because they don't know what to say other than, well, thank you, or I'd, I'd do it again, or uh, it doesn't start a conversation. So uh, It sort of prevents a conversation. It prevents a yeah. conversation. And so the idea for me was to, to really put that up there, and then it's, you know, Adam says, what do you, he's like, gosh, what are they thanking me for, putting my guys on the roof where one of them got shot, or the part where I carried him down the stairs, choked on his blood, and dropped him? You know, and it's like what you realize is there's, there's, there's a real gravity and a real cost to this service that they did. And, uh, and to sort of take the audience into the cost of that service and into the cost of, of, of how it still reverberates through, through their lives when they come home in this, in this after war and what that means and, and deepen our understanding of what it means to serve and uh, in, hopes that, in hopes that we as civilians can take a step closer to understanding them and maybe start a conversation uh, with these veterans and find a way to have an actual conversation with them and, and really welcome them home. Not, uh, you know, not, not in this sort of rah-rah way, but in a, in, a real, in a real communal way of like, how do we find a way to talk them, open our arms to them, and, and welcome these guys home? And, uh, yeah, that's my hope. Um, to that, how many have you you've shown this movie? You've, you've just gone on a, a tour. How many uh, military veterans have you shown the movie to, and what was that experience like? It was great. I mean, of course, first I showed it to Adam, and it was uh, we gave him some popcorn and a coke, and he didn't touch them, and he uh, he cried through a lot of it, and then uh, he got up and he gave me this big hug, and I just held him for like ten minutes, and he uh, he wept, and he was super happy with it, and and. Uh, you know, and then we watched, we brought all of them in. Uh, Emery's in the film. He's in the VA. Emery, who got shot in the head. Uh, Amanda and... That actor was incredible. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 He's from Atlanta, right? Uh, no, he's from here. Oh, he Scott, is from here. Scott okay. Hayes, yeah. yeah he's, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so we brought the real people in and watched the film with them, which was really intense i don't think that the, the car scene when he's driving with miles but did you shoot that uh practically was that you were yeah. driving so that was yeah. mounted cameras yeah yeah how fast were was he going? he was we were going pretty fast yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was uh you know that that stuff with the cameras and like you know we cracked a lens and it was just you know it's such a what hassle, did you shoot the movie on? right 
Huh? What, what camera did you use? We used a, we used the Ari and we used um, uh, the the um, Panasonic uh, B lenses. Yeah. Um, or Panavision B. Is it B? Yeah, B is the older ones that are the old glass that kind of is scratched up. Um, just two things I want to mark on before we're almost out. Uh, Spielberg, you know, yeah. being sort of shepherded by Steven Spielberg. What was that like? Um, that's pretty intense the first day that you get a call at lunch. And he, you know, this. so you get a call the second day because he's watched the first day's dailies. Um, and it's... All right, so here's what I would have done uh, from Steven. And, and like the first... Is that really what he said? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know the call is coming, and I was like, oh, I'm working, I'm working. And then, like, the phone starts to ring next to you, and then it rings over here, and then it rings over... Until somebody answers it, and they're like, hey, you got to... Um, but, you know, uh, I was cognizant of how that process goes when he works with directors and, and kind of imparts, you know, he's, he's, he was very, the whole time he was, he was super close and um, giving me any advice that I wanted. And, you know, we differ sometimes on who the right actor was or actress. And, uh, and uh, he, always, he, always, um, he always left it up to me. He really did. Um, and then you get into that conversation of how he would have done it, and and no two people are ever going to shoot it the same way. Right, of course not. Yeah. You know, and and I had a very specific way of not uh, of of not calling attention to the shots, of not putting stuff in where people would be like, "Oh, that's a beautiful shot." Like I didn't want anybody to say, "Oh, that's a beautiful shot in this movie," because it meant they're 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 not in the scene. It means they're they're in their head and they're thinking about. Oh, this is a movie. There are a lot of beautiful shots in the movie, but but hopefully you don't. You're not like wow. <laughs> no, no, it, it 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 doesn't take me out at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. And we've one minute just and Bruce yeah. Springsteen that last yeah. song. How did how did that but happen? Quickly. So Stephen calls and he says, "This is how I would have shot it." And like the first day he did it, I was, I I knew I had thought about doing exactly what he did, and I had decided not to do it because he, it was number one. It was jumping the line. I was like, "Oh, they're gonna think I don't know what I'm doing. I'm gonna jump the line, and they're gonna be like, oh, what." this kid doing he has no idea oh, i jumped the line a lot I know. <laughs> but but then it was putting the meat it was the meat scene where the guy's sitting right. there and he's doing it and and it was it was shooting it so you're jumping the line so the computer's here solo's there and his head is here so the meat is uh so the soldier's between the meat and the man and you're kind of like saying this like oh there it is you know that's what this scene is about but it's a little bit of a wink wink a little bit of like look we're clever and we're kind of saying this and it was exactly what i was trying not to do right so so you know it was that thing of like all right got it copy that so finding your own voice basically finding your own voice yeah. and being you know i think the reason he allowed me to direct the movie is because i i um i felt like it was okay to disagree with him when we wrote it i'm sure he appreciated that yeah 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 i mean i think you have to if you don't have a voice then you know you're either gonna you're either gonna continue to write it or you're gonna get fired. Right. And it's like I'd rather get fired you know, writing what you want. Writing what I want, right? And saying what I believe than trying to kiss up to somebody who like we're all, you know, you know the creative process. It's like you're trying stuff, it doesn't work, rip it out, take it again, try it again, try something else. Let's try an off the wall idea, throw that in there, it doesn't work, rip it out. So I was always very uh very candid with him and I would I would say I, I don't I don't think that works, and he'd either agree with me or he'd say do it anyway. I'd do it, and sometimes he'd be like, "Yeah, that you're right, that doesn't work." Or sometimes I'd be proven wrong and find something did work, and and his idea was great, and we'd go with that. 
But, uh, you know, we had a very open relationship, so I felt okay to disagree with him on uh, some of the shots and some of the stuff. But uh, well, I don't think you're going to get fired again and, uh, and, <laughs> and that you really succeeded. And I hope you make another movie, and I can't wait to see it. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Thank, thanks, Thank thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. Don't forget, you can check out past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. As we get deeper into awards season, we'll continue to give you director-focused conversations about this year's most anticipated films. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on the great discussions we have coming up. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.